In my world, nothing ever bad happens, just something happens. See, bad becomes a subjective analysis or an interpretation of an event. But how many times have we had something happen to us that we might subjectively think is bad, but in a week, a month, three months, ends up being one of the best things that happened to us? The body is acting as though my life is in danger, but only because the brain is predicting some future threat. One of the biggest obstacles that anyone has to overcome is just the mechanistic nature of what it means to be human, which is trying to avoid something that our brain is telling us could be a bad future. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Peter Krohn, the Mind Architect. Peter is a writer, speaker, thought leader in human potential who works with world-class entertainers, professional athletes, and global organizations. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sim. Good to be here, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, great to see you again. And we met for the first time a few months ago in LA, thanks to a mutual friend. So what have, what have yeah. you been up to since that time? Um, much of the same, you know, doing what I can to free people's minds and liberate their souls and make the world a better place. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, but <laughs> like when I first met you then, uh, I was kind of fascinated about your backstory and your vocation, which isn't actually, it's like somewhat, uh, let's say less conventional and you don't hear people doing that kind of work that you do. So maybe can you give a, like a brief background about uh, what, what is it that you actually, that you actually do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's not many uh, uh, colleges that offer a uh, degree in mind architecture, I don't think. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of something I created. And just because it was uh, sort of the mother of necessity, you know, where um, there was no particular title that I felt was accurately depicting what I was actually doing. And so that's why I came up with the term mind architects, because I felt like it at least spoke to what was happening, which is redesigning somebody's inner thinking space. So what we call mind sort of located somewhere in here um, to me is founded on these deep codes and programs that we develop over our lifetime, predominantly in our childhood. And so what I recognized is that I was very much redesigning somebody's identity by shifting what those codes and programs were. So architecture to me really was a wonderful way of capturing what I was doing within somebody's mind space. You know, you hire an architect to come and create a particular space you want to live in. And to me, there's no more powerful space we live in than our own mind. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's for sure. And I also feel that giving it some sort of a name that people are somewhat used to, such as architecture and being an architect, it kind of helps yeah. people to understand it in a much more conceptual way because the human mind itself is very conceptual in a sense that we need these analogies and yeah. me- metaphors to kind of describe what happens to us and also describe the world uh, around us. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there are so many titles and monikers out there that people use, like I'd be called a spiritual teacher and that maybe is also accurate, but it's sort of contaminated, right? People have an idea of what a spiritual teacher sometimes looks like. And it's a guy maybe with flowing robes and a big gray beard, you know? Um, uh, but I just felt like by coming up with a new title, it inspired inquiry, right? right? So, Oh, wow. That sounds interesting. 
and now people have to ask questions versus appealing to the part of the mind that is already um, stuck in knowing. Like as soon as we know something, we're sort of stagnant, right? Because now it's like, oh, I know what that is. Uh, and so I like to maintain that sense of curiosity. So coming up with a title that wasn't so commonplace also allowed people to be a little bit more imaginative in the way that they started a conversation. Mm, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, but maybe let's go through some of the basics. Like, how do you describe the mind? Then, <laughs> what is it that you referenced in terms of like somewhere in our head? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I, whenever I've done workshops, you know, I ask the same question of the audience. Like, let's 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 look at what do we call mind because everyone uses it, you know, regularly. Maybe not daily, but people are aware of the term mind, and I do like that inquiry. And most people will say things like thoughts, feelings, beliefs. And I don't think they're inaccurate, but the way I look at mind to answer your question is I see the mind as a space. And the space, like a blank canvas, then is possibility. Mm-hmm. So for me, the mind is pure possibility. The question is, what are you putting in the mind, right? So if in some of what I understand is your expertise a little bit is like looking at the body, right? Like, so what is the body? You know, we could talk about why I've got hands and arms and a chest and, but it's also a space at some level and depending on what you put into it will dictate what the body becomes, right? And we've got the whole gamut of somebody who could be eating fast food and drinking alcohol every day to somebody who like our world of biohacking and health optimization is, you know, intermittent fasting or eating like organic and clean foods. And so that's going to, you know, both those behaviors are going to give rise to two different bodies. Mm -hmm. So to me, the mind is a space of possibility. And then depending on the kind of languaging and coding that we use, you're going to give rise to a particular type of persona or an identity. Right. Yeah. So so that's where at least I like to look at mind. So it's almost, almost like the, um, not say like not entirely like the phenomenon that happens to you, but more so like the perceptions you create of it. Like people yeah. interpret their events kind of differently, and everyone ha- everyone has their own like past experiences that have happened to them. But you know, not everyone comes out of it as the same person, so they have like different personalities, which, which ultimately create their entire conception of self. Yeah, absolutely. And that gives rise to the diversity of life, right? So, you know, the expression perception is reality to me is, is, is an expression for a very good reason, because depending on how you view the, the world is going to give rise to your experience of it, mm-hmm. right? So are we really seeing the world or are we seeing a reflection of ourselves? Mm. But uh, most people are under the impression that they're upset because of what happened, you know, well, yeah. because so-and-so said something or did something, that's why I'm upset. But somebody else could witness the same uh, circumstance but have not the same reaction. So really, it's about discerning, okay, what's giving rise to our experience? Is it really the event or is it our interpretation of the event? Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. And some people tend to kind of get caught up with their emotions and feelings when something bad happens to them without kind of realizing that... uh, they're, they're, it's their kind of mind playing, playing tricks on them and it's not really their actual you know, full response or like congruent response. Yes. Yeah, the, you know, the way I distinguish it, a lot of people know the reason they're upset, but they might not know the cause. Hmm. That's a very subtle but important distinction, right? Because in the way you just phrased the circumstance, something bad happened, 
In my world, nothing ever bad happens, just something happens. See, bad becomes a subjective analysis or an interpretation of an event. But how many times have we had something happen to us that we might subjectively think is bad, but in a week, a month, three months, ends up being one of the best things that happened to us. So now we have to recontextualize the event as like, oh, that was actually for my benefit, so it's no longer bad. Mm. So that's why I like to get away from these subjective ways that we will um, label events and just look at it as something that happened. Now, based on my mind's programming, I'm going to interpret it in a way that will give me either the subjective experience of, oh, that was good, that was bad, that was right, that was wrong. But these are all just my subjective ways of analyzing an event. And if we can look at it objectively, now we create a lot more freedom. Mm. So that's, you know, that right there is a glimpse of, you know, so how I work with people. Right, right. So maybe can you give a, like a few examples of what are the some of the most common obstacles people have when it comes to their mental development and their mind? Um, I mean, the, the predominant one for everybody is just pure survival you know, as an obstacle. To me, the brain, the way the brain has evolved over years is to sort of basically predict and protect. So the brain is in its own way constantly trying to analyze circumstance for what we might call a perceived threat, right? So it's not that long ago that the perceived threat was really my life's existence, right? I leave my cave and based on the animals that were at that time higher on the food chain in terms of their strength and their speed and their power, you know, that was literally a life-threatening situation. Mm. Um, now it's like, you know, your boss says that he wants to see you in his office in half an hour, or, you know, you're driving home and the wife texts and says, you know, you're late and you know it's got that tone of like you're in trouble <laughs> as the husband, you know, <laughs> and yet the cascade that happens in our physiology and our autonomic nervous system is still the same, fight or flight or freeze, right? So the cortisol, the adrenaline, the noradrenaline, the body is acting as though my life is in danger, but only because the brain is predicting some future threat, right? So mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest obstacles that anyone has to overcome is just the mechanistic nature of what it means to be human, which is trying to avoid something that our brain is telling us could be a bad future. Mm. Um, so that's... That's the biggest thing that I'm helping people overcome is to be able to live in uncertainty without fear, um, which is deep in our DNA. It's primal for people to try and survive. Uh, they just have a, a myriad of different reasons that they think they have to survive, but it's, uh, it's still the same mechanism. Right, yeah. Like one of the, I, I would imagine that the biggest primal fears or like the biggest, uh, let's say, goals of the mind is to make sure that you survive. And yeah. uh, any living organism is actually working towards survival all the time. And yeah. to what extent we go with it depends a lot on like the particular situation, etc. But a lot of the, you know, the reason society itself exists is because of survival and proliferation of the species in, in some aspects. Yeah, that's why I said it's so primal. It's DNA, right? It's exactly. And that's why there's no judgment of people, but it's exhausting when the mechanism of survival is always running, right? If you think like, yes, if I step into a road and out of, fortunately, my peripheral vision allows me to see that there is a car coming at speed and my survival instinct to quickly react and move out of the way, that's helpful. You know, I'm not denying the process of survival as somehow invalid it's it's awesome to have mm -hmm. equally if you are in a situation let's say 
late at night for whatever reasons you're on the street and unfortunately not everyone in the planet is still coming you know nowadays from love and you get into an altercation or somebody's trying to mug you it's helpful to have like a shot of adrenaline and noradrenaline and to be able to either punch harder run faster or whatever you have to do to survive a situation like that yeah. um but when when it comes to day-to-day, 24-7, this constant analysis where the brain is always trying to figure out, am I going to be okay? What's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. That's unnecessary and that's exhausting. And that, to me, is what's creating adrenal fatigue, you know, depression, anxiety, and then the cascade of events that come from that that influence productivity, relationships, health and wellness. You know, now, now you're starting to get into a slippery slope of, dis-ease, you know, psychological, the absence of ease that now is affecting our physiology to the point of disease because of the accumulation over time of exhausting systems and tissues in our body because we're constantly looking out if we're going to be okay. Hmm. Uh, that, that's unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, like totally. Like in the modern world, we have like just so many additional stressors constantly all the time, uh, bombarding yeah. us from the environment and from the news and social media. And people are really, I would like, yeah. There's probably like some statistics showing that people are experiencing more anxiety and things like depression on a societal scale, much much bigger than in the past. So <laughs> it's it's somewhat yeah. it's somewhat even more more uh, difficult to get out of that fight or flight in in sense in in the modern world although we don't, we're not running away from like lions and uh, predators <laughs> no hopefully not some people might be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. no we are bombarded i mean there's an overstimulation and i you know i love some of the stuff that you obviously share about um sleep you know and like you look at this artificial environment that we've created which at some level is also a reflection and an extension of survival right like so a business that closes its doors because the sun went down is going to lose in a, in a competitive field to a business right. that will work through the night because they've got night shift workers and they've got artificial lighting, mm-hmm. right? So at some extent, you know, these artificial environments which we've created in order to survive in this capitalistic environment is also what is the demise of a human being in terms of their health and wellness, right? Mm-hmm. So that to me is... Yeah, we're not running away from lions and tigers, um, but there is an immense amount of stress that's become part of everyday living just because of other aspects of survival. You know, in this case, it's in the marketplace and making money often, but mm. it's, uh, it's really compromising people's mental and uh, physical wellness for sure. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like if if you don't do it, then someone else will do it, and therefore yeah. you may just lose the race or lose the rat race, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and then it's like okay, it's it, it's it's just a difficult conversation, right? Because you could say, well, the person who's not going to fight, you know, in the marketplace, they could have a greater sense of uh, uh, holistic health, right? Maybe they sleep better, their relationships are more harmonious. Their physiology is in better shape. But, you know, at the end of the day, they may not generate enough revenue to then support a family. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's this balance, um, which isn't always easy to, uh, to establish. Yeah. So, so how would you go about, like, uh, fixing the client's problem that will, will you, like, try to help to deal with the stress or, you know, in- introduce some strategies or will you try to, like, change the person's values in the sense that making them realize that they don't really have to be grinding themselves to the dirt and, you know, incorporating more balance. So how, how would you go about it? 
Um, I think, you know, you can incorporate a, a, a bit of both in that case. Like for me, my work personally is predominantly reverse engineering superficial issues to like subconscious patterns, mm -hmm. right? So whatever anyone's dealing with on the surface, I'm dealing with a professional athlete who isn't realizing their potential or who's been struggling. Maybe they're not performing as well as they could be. Um, I'm dealing with uh, an entertainer who's struggling from the stress of, maybe a very successful career that's maybe not doing so well or wasn't doing so well and now is doing very well but it's getting a lot of attention, doesn't know how to handle it. Or somebody dealing with depression, anxiety, weight loss, whatever their issues are, relationship problems. So I will use their everyday circumstance as access to a deeper program of inadequacy, insecurity, scarcity that's, that's primal, mm. right? So I'm less in the fix-it world and I'm much more in the dissolution pro like I my my quote is I don't solve problems I dissolve them mm. right so whatever yes. we have is a symptomatic uh issue it has some underlying root cause so if we go to the root cause then I don't need to fix a symptom anymore mm -hmm. does that make sense so my my work is much more that it's someone will present whatever their issue is and then my intuition and my ability is to be able to reverse engineer that to what is the fundamental context they're living in in their subconscious that has that symptom present itself. Right. So you're going into the subconscious mind in a sense of not fixing the surface level symptoms, but fixing the root cause. Yeah. And, but and not but even fixing, you know, I mean, nothing against the word. I just think it's got a bad connotation because okay. it's based in a deeper, deeper understanding that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. right which to me is old paradigm language like i said earlier i don't think anything is bad it's just what it is it might not be ideal it might not be optimal uh it may not even be fun but uh, um it's <laughs> not bad likewise i don't think anything is wrong it's just the way it is and that's an entirely shift you know new shift in perspective mm -hmm. so whatever is presenting that is creating some sort of suffering for me um with my clients is then i'll be able to reverse engineer that and help them through awareness understand what is happening it may not even be anything to fix within their subconscious it's just for them to become aware of the fact that for 20 30 40 years they have really truly felt that who they were was not enough mm -hmm. as one example you know and so that's manifesting now that they're just exhausted but their exhaustion is a byproduct of the fact that they keep trying to be enough you know like perfectionism or people pleasing but that behavioral adaptation is to the deeper-seated feeling of inadequacy. Then we can trace that to, yes, well, when I was five, you know, my dad said, you can always be doing better or whatever it was. It might have been a throwaway statement, but the kid heard it as, but what I'm doing is not enough, so I have to try harder. Mm. And then they develop the pattern that then after 20, 30 years is literally depleting their system. So mm. I'll help them find that deep program that got established in childhood and then then look at it for what it is is it a truth like an actual truth that you're not enough right. it's not a truth you might feel that you may have evidence in your life that to you proves it but it's still not a truth and so the reconciliation is to see it for what it is which is a piece of programming it's not a truth and then what becomes available in the absence of that is total freedom and relief for people hmm. yeah yeah it's 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 like the classical story of a fat person getting fit 
uh, and ending up getting to the Olympics just because someone told them that they're overweight or something and they want to prove them wrong yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And fear like that can be a strong motivator, right? Like, you know, the ego um, lives in this world of duality, right or wrong, right? And like you look between nations, between couples, when there's a fight, it's because we're right, you're wrong, and they're saying the same thing, right? So when somebody makes us wrong or says you can't do something, then the ego loves to like fight that and disprove mm -hmm. it. So the person may get good results. So in using your example, someone was fat at school, they never amount to anything. And someone said, you're not an athlete, you can't do anything or whatever. And they use that as motivation to become competitive and maybe make it to the Olympics or whatever, which looks good on the surface. And I'm not denying that. That's great. What an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. But I promise you, if that person doesn't reconcile the deep seated fight or flight mechanism that made that happen, they might, you know, shit, they might even win gold, but they're going to end up in the long run with a lot of suffering. Yeah. Right. There's not, it's not freedom that got them there. I want to help people have powerful lives through freedom of choice, not through constrained reaction. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference, right? If, yeah. I'm, if I'm becoming successful in spite of somebody else or to make them wrong, then I'm still living in fear and constraint. I might get results, but it's like lactic acid, right? Like, you know, I can, I can sprint and I'll get the result of getting from A to B quickly, but there's a, there's a cost to it. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. Versus if I'm working within my aerobic thresholds, then I'm getting from A to B, maybe not as quickly, but I don't have the same costs. There's not the same byproduct. So likewise, psychologically, if I stay within the realm of my own sense of possibility and from love and freedom and peace, these great values, then there isn't the same cost as if I'm coming from, I'm going to make someone wrong, I'm going to put it in their face. Well, now I'm carrying that energetic tension. Again, might get the result, but there's going to be a costly byproduct mm -hmm. over time. Right. So it's almost like, for example, uh, a millionaire who is working around the clock just to make another million uh, because yeah. they're afraid of being poor <laughs> versus, yeah. versus, versus an artist who works all the time just because they love to do it and it's like yes. their passion. <laughs> yeah, I literally had a client like that from Australia. I was doing a retreat in Thailand many years ago and um, the guy was a billionaire real estate developer and he, he, he was struggling. He was like mid-60s, I think, but he had all sorts of physiological sickness. You know, and this is a guy who's only 65, which to me nowadays is still given the technology we have, you could call that a young person if they take care of themselves, right? Exactly. So, but he, he, he was on the verge of like potentially the end of his life because of the state of his physiology. Now, he had all the resources, literally a billionaire, but what was driving him was he remembered as a kid that he walked into his house and he saw his mom on the floor scrubbing floors and that was one of like three jobs she had to try and support the family, which is you know, commendable, like, you know, a lot of respect for someone who's going to work that hard. But at that moment, he made a decision that he would never be poor. Mm -hmm. But that then became his fear, right? That became that little grit that was in his psyche that was like, I'm never going to allow that to happen. So his system now is constantly working, constantly working. He created the billions, but at the same time, he'd never known how to relax. So his relationship was struggling, his body was falling apart. Because he didn't, you know, as cliche as it sounds, he didn't get to take his time, smell the flowers and enjoy the, the benefits of all of his hard work because his psychology wouldn't let him stop. Hmm. 
So we can have the external trappings, but if there's internal dis-ease, then, you know, it's, yeah. it looks like success at one level, but to me, it's a huge failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true that they're always kind of in their own eyes, they will be suffering almost all the time because they, they feel that they're inadequate or they're, they haven't achieved what they want to go, what they want to get. Yeah. Yeah. It's never enough. You know, if, if your relationship to yourself is not enoughness, whatever it is, like pretty enough, smart enough, rich enough, fast enough, skinny enough, young enough, whatever the not enough is, if that is the driving motivator for your behavioral choices, then it can never become a, it can never be overcome mm. because that's what's driving the behavior, mm -hmm. right? So if, if who I am at some level is somehow not enough, then it doesn't matter what I do. It's never going to be fulfilling that inadequacy. You just have to be able to see the not enoughness is itself not a truth. It's a perspective. Mm. It's a point of view and that can't be resolved. It can only be seen for what it is, which is a lens I'm looking through. Right. It's not a truth. Right. But what happens to these people, for instance, when they do break their paradigms and they get, they get the realization that, oh, oh hell, I've been uh, doing this thing or chasing this goal for the wrong reasons. Like, yeah. uh, what, usually, what usually happens to the people and what do they do afterwards? They start breathing beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> Relief, total freedom. Right. I mean, that to me is what everyone's looking for. Like, you know, that's my number one product is bringing people absolute freedom from the constraints of their own subconscious. That, that now it doesn't mean that they have to stop being successful. You know, we can still be super driven and we can still have huge goals and aspirations. I do, I'm always creating. I have huge mm. goals, you know. Now, I may not achieve all of them, but I'm coming from a place of imagination, joy, creativity, playfulness, freedom, love. These are the underlying tenets of my behavioral choices. It's not because I have to prove myself or I'm trying to make myself look better than somebody else, or you know, I'm not looking for status in the marketplace just to give myself a sense of worth to compensate right. for a deep feeling of inadequacy in myself. I'm doing it just for freaking shits and giggles, and it's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a different, that's a different way to live life, though. Yeah, and then you will be, like I said, more creative as well. You have like yeah. uh, more. Um, you start to see things uh, in a broader perspective, and you, you take things in a more balanced perspective. Yeah, and there's the absence of disease, right? And I love that word, dis-ease, loss of ease, non-ease, right? Like, so psychologically, emotionally, if I'm not at ease, then my physiology is going to be in a state of fight or flight, which will then eventually over time lead to dis disease as a physiological manifestation. Mm -hmm. So if we can be at peace in ourselves, if we can maintain freedom, if we can maintain a sense of playfulness and joy, a joie de vivre, a love of life, a love of other, respect. You know, these values to me are way more potent and powerful than the underlying essence that drives most people's lives, which is fear, survival, manipulation, corruption, domination, mm -hmm. you know, which may get results. But as I said, it's looking at the difference between results that are coming from a place and energy of harmony and authenticity versus those who will have huge byproducts in the impact and cost to not only oneself, but also to others. You know, when we manipulate and corrupt, there's a big cost to other people in our lives. Um, so it may sound idealistic, but to me, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while and it uh, definitely works. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. But you've been, you've been mentioning the word subconscious mind a few times. So yeah. it's a pretty 
some people may be confused about it. So what, what is it and how does it differ from, let's say, your conscious mind? Um, subconscious mind to me is that, you know, if we were to look at it in terms of anatomy, it's sort of like the deepest level, right? So everybody's heard of DNA. Mm-hmm. And um, they know that their DNA is very deep programming. Right? So it dictates your body size, your hair, your eye color, skin tone, stuff like this. Right? Like it, that's just deep in the code. You can't, it's very difficult to change your eye color. <laughs> right? So subconscious to me would be you know, above that because it's deep, but it's, it, we, we can play with it. Mm-hmm. Versus conscious thoughts, like you're at a restaurant, you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to have the salmon. No, 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 no. You know what? I've changed my mind. I'm going to have the lamb. Right, so these that that's easy to change. So subconscious, let's just for for sake of ease, is somewhere between the conscious thoughts we have and the DNA. Mm. Right, the DNA being the deepest programming. Subconscious is not as deep as DNA, but it's certainly deeper than just our everyday thoughts about you know going to do our to do list. Mm-hmm. So really, another way of looking at it is that which we have assimilated and integrated, such that now it's second nature. It has become habitualized, right? So subconscious takes care of something like walking. Mm -hmm. Now, at some point, walking was a conscious effort. We weren't aware of how to walk. And we had to try, and as kids, we kept falling over. Or like driving a car when we're 16, 17, 18, when you start driving. You know, in England, we have to learn how to drive um, uh, what they call a stick shift in America. We call it manual, right? Here, everything's just automatic. So when I first learned to drive a car, my, my mind was very active in like, okay, I've got to put my foot on the clutch as I move the, this handle here and change gears, and then I have to slowly release the, the clutch as I put effort on and pressure on the throttle. You know, it's like, wow, it takes a lot of effort, right? That was very conscious. But as the process became more second nature and it became integrated, now I could drive a stick shift whilst, you know, I'm eating a sandwich and maybe, you know, talking to someone on the phone, yeah, yeah. right? Because I'm not, it's so integrated. Right. So that's the benefit of subconscious, but it also becomes the uh, obstacle, right? Because there are certain habits and patterns that we want to have as second nature. I don't want to have to think about how to walk anymore. Like, wait left foot right it's obviously it's a it's a huge obstacle to efficiency Mm -hmm. by me thinking about it but there are certain patterns that have become part of subconscious that are deep that are huge like hugely detrimental to our joy of life so like i said earlier thinking i'm not enough now that would be a deep habit based on years and years of programming that somebody developed from childhood so they might not remember the events that created it, but their system is still based uh, on those habits. So they developed uh, compensation patterns. They've adapted to the feeling of inadequacy at the subconscious level, and now they have these sort of superficial um, ways of acting around people to try and compensate. So subconscious is, you know, it's slippery, it's deep. And it's, uh, at one level, it's very beneficial because it helps us to do things without necessarily thinking about it. But it's also very detrimental because it helps us to do things without thinking about it, which can be, uh, you know, messing up our life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all, all, almost all of these, you know, beliefs and uh, traits uh, that affect us on a subconscious level, they come from our past experiences 
as well yeah. as like as well as like what our parents taught us uh what kind of friends we hang out with and uh, what kind of you know media do we consume uh, what yeah. kind of what kind of podcasts do we listen to and everything they're gonna start to kind of is it well it's essentially like brainwashing <laughs> that makes yeah. us makes our subconscious mind put some things on autopilot so that we would be more energy efficient from like the perspective of the brain yeah but it it does drive everything you know from the jobs that we end up having to the relationships that we get involved in personally or professionally the people that we attract into our lives you know they're all going to at some level um correlate with and resonate to the frequencies of our subconscious mind if somebody for example if if a woman doesn't have a sense of self-worth because perhaps her parents weren't very loving they weren't so present or maybe she had an older sister who was a star athlete who got all the attention and maybe this you know this beautiful little girl was more of an artist but she didn't get the same accolades it would be very um you know no one would no one would uh, begrudge her the fact that at some level she thought she wasn't as good as her sister, right? Everyone would at least have compassion for that. Mm -hmm. But what that can manifest in terms of her life as she becomes older is that maybe she attracts men and relationships who don't, right. who don't respect her as much, don't honor her as much. Now, it's not because of them, but because of the way she doesn't honor her worth and her value. She, you know, through the subconscious belief that she, she's not as good as her sister, that means her energy is I'm somehow, I'm somehow flawed or inadequate. So now in an emotional situation, she has to attract someone to maintain that frequency for her. Mm. She might meet a guy who's super loving and thinks she's amazing, but she would sabotage that relationship because it doesn't fit. It would feel uncomfortable for her to get all that attention. Right. But for a guy to maybe dismiss her and say that she could be doing better, whether it be the way she cooks dinner or the way she makes the bed or she needs to lose, that would, it might hurt, obviously, but it would be familiar for her. Mm -hmm. So she would sustain that relationship, right? Yeah. So, which is obviously a crying shame for both parties because it's not great for a guy to have to be, you know, that, that um, demeaning towards anyone and it's not good for her to be on the receiving end of that. So my work is helping everybody to transcend those patterns and find your own sense of self-worth and, and self-love, which, you know, that's, that's not an easy place for people to get to. Yeah. Yeah. How do, how do people like get more aware of these subconscious beliefs and uh, habits? Um, hopefully through podcasts like this, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, by also reverse engineering their problems, like by, at least starting to become um, sensitive to the fact that there are these deep-seated codes and deep-seated programs that we all have as humans and go, okay, wait a minute. If I'm dealing with whatever the circumstance is, um, what can I learn from that by sort of, as I said, reverse engineering? What, what is the ultimate fear that it's triggering is a good question for people to ask. Like whatever the external circumstance what is the fear that's being revealed through whatever emotional reaction I'm having? What is the ultimate concern? So that's one way to access it. You kind of have to do, it's no different than going to see a doctor, right? Like, you know, a doctor is going to look at your symptoms in terms of what they present. But if, if it's a good doctor, they will know those symptoms are by virtue of deeper seated root causes. Now, of course, Western medicine doesn't really want to address that. They want to just treat symptoms so that you stay sick at a deeper level, but you have to keep taking medication, right? 
But in Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, some of these Eastern philosophies of healing, they will want to look at the deepest seated underlying imbalance that's creating these superficial symptomatic presentations. So the same for the mind. Whatever is presenting as a symptom of frustration, depression, anxiety, we want to be able to, to look at what is the root cause of that? Why am I scared of whatever it is? Why do I feel a feeling of inadequacy when I do public speaking? What is the deeper fear? So that's, you know, that's why it's not easy, but that's the way to access what are these deeper seated beliefs of the subconscious. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's basically like reprogramming your mind again and getting a reboot, yeah. a re reboot in some sense. Yeah, and, and it's almost like beyond reprogramming, it's becoming aware of the current program. Right, right. Right, I don't, like, I've worked with many people for many years, and even for myself, I've done this, you know, for two decades, I could still, I could still access the deep programming of not being good enough, mm -hmm. right? Meaning, I'm human, we're all human. And so I like people to rather than try and get rid of or fix or reprogram, to actually make space for, to integrate our humanity and our feelings of inadequacy, because everybody's got them. And at one level, it's beautiful because that's where we can all connect with each other, with our imperfections and our fears. You know, there's a certain level of relatability. Right. If you meet a human being who doesn't have any sense of inadequacy or fear, at one level, it's sort of, it can actually be off-putting, you know, because they don't, they're not, It becomes a pretense, honestly. If somebody's that full of themselves, usually humans find that kind of repulsive energetically. We're, we're repelled from that because it's not authentic, mm -hmm. meaning that every human being, by virtue of being human, we're going to have feelings of inadequacy. We're going to have self-doubt. We're going to have concerns. And that's beautiful. We want to transcend them, but we want to integrate them, and that's the way we transcend them versus trying to get rid of them. Does that make sense? It's subtle, yeah, but it's very yeah. important. Yeah, and it, I would imagine it also make, makes the person, um, you know, say it's going to make them feel better about it if they realize that these are the issues that people have been dealing with, like since, since the dawn of times, like yeah. the fear of failure or fear of uh, inadequacy and and so on. So this is yeah. something. This is something almost like part of the human experience in some in some sense. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, the way you articulate it is it's beautiful for people to understand that it really is part of being human. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for us to be able to acknowledge that, integrate it is what to me breeds a lot more love and compassion, both for ourselves and others, that everybody is carrying their cross. Everybody's got burdens that we're oblivious to. We don't know what they've been through. But if we understand by virtue of being human that everybody has gone through their versions of trauma and abuse, uh, whether it be physical, emotional, or otherwise, then it, to me, elicits a compassionate response, you know, where we start to have a lot more patience with people. We have a lot more understanding and a lot more kindness, which to me would make the world a much nicer place to be. Yeah, exactly. But what, what would be like something, or let's say, Uh, what, what's the biggest thing that stops people from changing themselves then? Uh, is, it, is it just fear or is it more like uh, some obstacle is like physically stopping them from changing? Uh, I think that the number one thing is just the absence of awareness. You know, like it's, you, you, you can't change something that you're oblivious to, right? Like, so <laughs> when people ask me, oh, well, what am I going to get from your, your work? I'm like, I, I can't tell you, 
right? Because I can give you like conceptual pointers towards what you might experience, but until we actually have a conversation about what you're dealing with and I show you something that you've never seen before, you can't understand what I'm going to give you, mm -hmm. right? Does that make sense? So I'm pointing out blind spots. Now, by virtue of the fact that they're blind spots is why people don't change so much because they don't know they even have them. <laughs> you know? yeah. So you, it's like you can only function within the level of awareness you have. Like I, I use the example of a, um, a ski guide. You know, if I went to a mountain to like, and I wanted to do some off-piece skiing, the ski guide can only show me as much of the mountain as he or she knows, mm -hmm. right? There may be areas that are available for great skiing, but they don't know about it. So we can't yeah. access that, but it's there. So likewise with people's psychology and their subconscious, they don't know what they don't know in terms of they can't, they can't access the deep-seated programs that they're oblivious to. Mm -hmm. Which is why I always say you can't, you know, having judgment of people or blaming people for their behavior to me is, it just makes no sense because if they knew better, they would be doing better, right? So they might psychologically know, for example, on a superficial level that they shouldn't smoke, right? People know smoking's bad and they know that. But if they don't know what are the deeper programs that make them feel sad, depressed, because they feel who they are is worthless or inadequate. And that creates suffering. And they found through nicotine that they get relief for a minute from the suffering. Then to make somebody wrong for smoking without them knowing why they feel so much suffering because their parents never gave them any sort of accolades or love or affection. I mean, it, it it's such a disservice to that person because now your judgment is going to make them feel worse about themselves, which is only adding to the suffering that makes them smoke in the first place. <laughs> you see? Yeah. So it's about more compassion, more patience, more love, more understanding because people are really doing the best they can everywhere. Mm, yeah. um, so that's, you know, long-winded answer to your question, but that's why people don't generally change is because they don't know what is at the deepest level that is driving their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Mm, yeah. So kind of the initial response of most people would be that, oh, like, why are they smoking or why are they binge eating or why are they not exercising, etc.? Whereas the kind of deeper level of understanding would be to realize that they're behaving from their like conditioning and they're behaving because of certain programming, which isn't, yeah. which isn't necessarily like it's not entirely their fault, quote unquote, which to a certain extent actually is. But at the, yes. same, at the same time, you have to kind of realize that it could have been you as well. It could be the same. You, you, yeah. could, you could be in the same situation if you were to be going through like similar yeah. uh, experiences. A hundred percent. And that to me again comes back to compassion, right? And mm -hmm. so whenever we see somebody doing a behavior or acting in a way that we don't agree with or that we judge, then I'm not denying one's perspective. And maybe even that observation is helpful to that person. Maybe it is someone you love and you care for and you want to help them have a more idealized uh, behavior around something. But to, at least to your point, understand that everything they've been through to this point, from their DNA to their childhood experiences with parents to what they learned in school to you know, the disappointments they had from their first, you know, love that didn't work when they were 12 years old or, you know, the kiss mm -hmm. that they didn't get or like <laughs> all of the things that have contributed to somebody's persona is 
the precursor to why they're making the choice right now in present time. Mm. And that, to me, gets rid of all judgment. You know, that gets rid of all blame. Yeah. And it does breed a lot more harmony between people where we can support each other in a way that maybe I don't understand your history, uh, which leads to the choice you're making, but I at least can have compassion for it. And that's a much more supportive, encouraging, inspiring, loving energy that we can have for one another as we all try to evolve and become more optimized human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I, I, I like, as I understand, it's also like changing the brain physically, like through neuroplasticity, which I, I would imagine you're aware of this process. And that that's like the dynamic changing of your brain structures based oh. upon like your thoughts and uh, your actions. So yeah. is, is there like some form of neuroplasticity happening when you're like breaking down these, you know, subconscious beliefs and changing the person's you know, awareness? Um, I mean, my direct answer is I don't know because it's not my area of expertise. Okay. I would imagine yes. Uh, it's not something that I've done as a case study to measure like somebody comes in in a particular state, they do the work with me and then we measure. I am quite interested in it's something that I'm now incorporating, which is measuring vital signs. So blood pressure, respiratory rate, heart rates, stuff like this, that distinctly changes when somebody releases subconscious constraint, Mm. right? So it's one of the first things I see with somebody is their breathing pattern literally changes when they see the, the confinement that they've been stuck in and release it. Right. There is a massive cascade in their physiology. Like literally they will say, I feel lighter, I feel freer, I feel softer. And accordingly, their physiology does shift. So I would imagine on the brain level with neuroplasticity, that is also occurring. It might not be so instantaneous as someone's breathing pattern or blood pressure, but um, I'm sure that does happen over time. And certainly as that person starts to establish new habits and behaviors you know obviously if we have a new perspective then we literally start looking at life differently if we look at life differently we have different responses to life meaning we have different behavioral adaptations so that is going to create different hardware in the way that we're um wired Hmm. right i would imagine i would imagine so as well Um, yeah but you recently did a netflix documentary about the subconscious mind am i right yeah yeah the documentary heal Okay. Heal, yeah. Can you talk about, uh, like, what did you learn about it and what's it about? Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, actually, it's been out for a while now, Netflix, but um, it was uh, an amazing project to be part of. Um, some really great uh, teachers in there who, you know, they're pioneers in the world of mind-body wellness, and they've been out there for many years. So for me to be alongside Joe Dispenza and Deepak Chopra and Bruce Lipton and people like this was very... Um, humbling for me um and the film has done incredibly well and it's touched a lot of people's lives so uh it's very gratifying to be part of a project that's uh helping people to reframe what it means to be responsible for your health and the power of uh the the mind to help heal so it was an amazing experience we actually just uh filmed some new content uh, because they're going to do a webinar uh i think in october where people can watch full interviews uh, from myself, Joe Dispenza, the medical medium, I think was one guy, and then some new new teachers and faces that weren't in the original documentary, but they, you know, have some incredible insights to share. So, yeah, it's been a wonderful uh, project to be part of. Hmm. Any any new uh, you know documentaries or works 
in the making? <laughs> uh, actually, a few. Yeah, I've got three more documentaries that uh, one I filmed already, and a couple more that are coming out. Um, I'm not sure when they're. We two more haven't been filmed. One's going to be actually uh, on Fox Sports, I believe, in October during the playoffs for baseball because it's about a baseball player okay. uh, who was struggling with something called the yips. Uh, athletes get it where their mind is so concerned for an outcome that it actually creates a physiological response of res resistance. Mm -hmm. So the, in a baseball player's case, he, the pitcher can't release the ball because his fear is creating concern and so it actually creates something called the yip. So instead of hitting the strike zone, the ball would start to go everywhere. Mm. Golfers mm. get it when they have short putts, you know, and they, the brain is like, well, you should make this, but maybe they've missed a few. And now they're concerned for that reoccurring. And mm. so it actually will create like a physiological, like, like a, a tick, you know, like this twitch. Mm. <laughs> and so they call it the yip. So that's one mm. of the uh, documentaries, which will be fun to be part of. And then, uh, um, yeah, the, the others, uh, they're just, they're beautiful about human evolution and how we treat each other and all of that stuff. So some fun things, uh, in the pipeline. That, that sounds good. Do you do like any, yeah. any meditation or something like mindfulness techniques? For myself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, meditation to me is an incredible practice. It's not something that I have as a daily practice. I think meditation the way I look at meditation is it's a form of presence, right? So most people are very distracted. They get caught in their head. They're running around doing everything they have to do from work to taking care of kids and all the things that involves being human. And I think to have a meditation practice helps people to just slow down and check in with themselves. Uh, for me, I, my meditation tends to be just being fully engaged and present with whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like a, it's a, it's a dynamic meditation. Right. So being fully present with whoever I'm with, in this case you, or whatever I'm doing. So that's more my mindful practice. Um, otherwise, I love the process of just creativity. You know, so I feel like I'm very intuitive. I like to visualize. I like to look at, like, obviously as part of my work, human behaviors. Why do people do what they do? What is the underlying driving motivators? Uh, looking at these realms of survival. You know, people are, ultimately, there's these subtle agendas that humans have. It doesn't make people bad, but usually there's some kind of motivation or intention behind all action. And so I like to look at that, like just people watch. I find it fascinating to see that people are fundamentally, you know, good at heart, but oftentimes, you know, a little bit manipulative and, and mentally. Right. <laughs> Not because they're bad people, but because they're trying to survive, you know? Sure. Exactly. And uh, I'm just trying to collapse the two, you know, to get people to be more heart-centered and have their mind and their physiology sort of become united as one and to really function from this place of harmony, unity, completeness uh, versus the brain that tends to be just sort of very single-focused of like, I've got to get to where I've got to get to, I've got to become who I've got to become, and I don't care what happens along the way or who I affect, you know, that's... To me as an old model mm, yeah, yeah and uh, yeah it's, 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 it's always like, like you said there's nothing wrong with it inherently it's just that it's somewhat outdated <laughs> it's uh yeah. it doesn't fit the modern modern environment no it's human and that's why there's no judgment of anybody who's still being driven by that but it's exhausting it's costly it creates disease it's 
it's an ex it's 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 a fatiguing system you know if you're mm. constantly on constantly on constantly on and as i said that there's ramifications that the there's um, detrimental effects not just to self but you know people around us um and then if it doesn't have to be that way then why would we do it you know right, right. Then that's I would imagine that's part of the reason why like there's wars as well and these conflicts. <laughs> People yeah. are just trying to survive and uh, fighting with each other. Yeah, it's you know whether that's why I said earlier whether it's between a nation, between religions, or between a husband and a wife, or between a boyfriend and girlfriend, or whatever it is. Like the 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 dynamic energy is the same. Mm. It's usually I'm right, you're wrong, but this person is saying I'm right, you're wrong. Now, depending on what you have between you, you know, in a house, it might be words or it might be a spatula. Someone throws, you know, <laughs> a plastic utensil. Yeah. But if it's between religion or nations, now you start to get like, you know, heavy military equipment right. that you're using as a threat or as an actual form of attack. Hmm. Um, so the energy is the same. The, the means and the tools that people use that, you know, that gets, uh, That gets pretty expensive, you know, the bigger you get, the bigger the groups. And not yeah. only in terms of like the actual expense of the resource, but the expense of the impact, mm. you know, right. as we've seen over centuries of uh, bloodshed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another uh, rabbit hole we could go down. <laughs> yeah, 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 it gets a bit yeah, messy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's been great uh, talking with you and I'm going to start wrapping things up. So before I ask my last question, uh, where, can people yeah. learn, where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, uh, it's pretty simple. Just a website. Uh, my name, Peter Krohn, uh, P-E-T-E-R-C-R-O-N-E.com uh, or Instagram, which is just Peter Krohn Official. Mm -hmm. uh, I try not to be all over the place. I understand social media and its impact, and I resisted it a little bit myself for a while, but people love Instagram, and I can see its benefits, so um, I decided to add that, but I, I just didn't want to be across all platforms, so just those two. For sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? For me personally? Yeah. Um... Well, it's something that I'm learning a lot from and actually, you know, through some of the stuff you shared, which is sleep. I think, you know, in terms of if there's one habit to have that really does optimize both is, you know, as a physical habit, sleep. Mm -hmm. I think as a much more esoteric habit, self-awareness, you know, is, is to me the ultimate habit, which I am passionate about, right, is to know thyself, you know, mm -hmm to really understand our true nature is the ultimate, to me, discovery of a human being. Mm -hmm. That I'm not this meat suit and I'm not this, you know, my value is not dictated by my bank account or my followers. And that's, that to me is the ultimate prize of a human being is ultimately to be free of the constraints of my subconscious beliefs of inadequacy. So that would be the ultimate habit. Um, but as a physiological habit, Get some freaking good sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, like getting a good night's sleep is also good for developing that self-awareness or becoming yeah. aware about what you're happening and getting out of the fight or flight. I was going to say, and it's kind of a little bit of both, right? So, you know, if you don't have self-awareness to see these habits, which are driving these behaviors of fight or flight, which keep you in sympathetic mode, then you're not going to sleep well anyway, because you're sitting yeah. there or lying there restless and in a state of fear. 
So, you know, they both feed each other in a beautiful way. The more I feel free, the more I sleep. The more I sleep, the better able I am to discover my true nature. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I believe like everyone should definitely focus on both their health as well as self-awareness because that's, that's, yeah. where, that's where most of your like, let's say, full potential can be achieved both physically and uh, mentally. Yeah, if I'm looking through a lens of any kind of limitation or constraint in my mind, then I'm obviously limited in terms of my potential and what I can achieve and my goals, dreams, and aspirations. Physically, if I'm limited because I'm not fully rested, then equally my efficiency, my productivity during the day is going to be limited. So it's a beautiful marriage of the two, which is to find freedom of mind, but then to find health and rest of body. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a good uh, note to end the show with. And uh, yeah. thanks for coming to the podcast. It was great talking with you. And uh, Likewise. Good to see you again. Yeah. We'll probably have to stay in touch for, for the future. Absolutely. I'm sure we will. All right. That's it for this episode. If you want to support us, then make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. To learn more about the topics that we discussed in this episode, check out the show notes in the description. But other than that, thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.